Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you today. Jen Stevens is a wife, mother, retired teacher, and intermittent faster. If that wasn't enough, she is also a New York Times bestselling author of the book Fast, Feast, Repeat. She is the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, Delay, Don't Deny. In total, she has five books available for purchase on her website, where you can also find her blog, success stories, and other fantastic resources. She is the host of three podcasts. Wow, three podcasts. I have a hard enough time just with one, Uh, including the Intermittent Fasting Podcast and Intermittent Fasting Stories. Her latest podcast is called Life Lessons, which she hosts with her friend, Sherry Bullock. Jin is a ray of light, a beacon of positivity and optimism, and it is a joy and honor to host her here today on Boundless Body Radio. Jin Stevens. Thank you so much. Yeah, that does sound crazy when you read it all out. I'm also working on a new book, and my deadline is the end of March. So I don't know. I don't have enough to do. I'm juggling cats. (laughs) Do you know what sleep is? Like, do you ever sleep? Yeah, I actually do. I am one of those people that I'm 100% on or I am off. Wow. (laughs) You know, I go to bed, you know, pretty pretty early. I'm usually in bed by 9 p.m. and I wake up early in the morning and one yeah. in the morning, two in the morning to get all this done. Well, I wait, I wait and I have my alarm clock set so that the light doesn't come on until five 30. So it's like, I can't tell what time it is until five 30. <laughs> and so if it's still dark, I know it's not time to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Wow. Yeah. Your podcasts are great. I love all of them. They're all very, um, unique and different. They have kind of a different vibe, um, from each other. And I, I really enjoy all of them for what they are. I really love the one about the Thank stories. It, it's so, I think, cool and validating for myself and other people who want to try fasting to hear that, you know, other people are, are succeeding with it. Absolutely. And no matter who you are, there's someone like you who, who's out there telling their story. You know, we're, we're a diverse community, people all over the world and, you know, people who only needed to lose a tiny bit of weight and people who needed to lose, you know, 200 pounds, people who were, you know, pretty healthy, but just, you know, struggling with weight loss versus people who had really tremendous health um, struggles, you know, that may have been even lifelong. But the one thing we have in common is that intermittent fasting has helped bring, you know, health to us, sanity to our lives and helped us really most of us find that we can love food again. That's so awesome. Fasting, it's just so interesting. It's such an interesting thing. I, I want to talk to you. I used to I used to fast once a month for religious purposes, and it was you know a twenty four hour fast. And boy, I that month would be like one day of being utterly miserable and right. and and hating it, and then the rest of the month just looking forward to the next time I would have to do it. And those days are all miserable because you're thinking about oh I'm gonna have to do that day of of nothing. I can't eat any food. And now fasting has become for me personally incredible. It's easy. It's amazing. You feel great. How does something miserable turn into something like that's amazing? It's the best thing ever. Well, our bodies are, you know, adaptable and we are meant to be, you know, the wording is metabolically flexible. That means that we're supposed to be able to draw on our stored fat for fuel when food is scarce. That's why it's there. And we're supposed to, you know, be able to run on the food we're eating, you know, when we're eating. Unfortunately, in modern times, you know, with all the the plenty that is around us, we've gotten used to being in the fed state the whole time that we're awake. And so our bodies have lost the ability to tap into fat stores for fuel, which sounds crazy, but we've all been there. Like you said, those 24-hour fasts that you did once a month, you probably felt hangry and miserable the whole day because your body was not metabolically flexible. It's not just like you could flip that switch and then now you're fine. You have to train your body how to do it. And um, the adjustment period is the hardest part of intermittent fasting. So every time you had that one monthly fast, you were having to go through that, you know, adjustment. You never adjusted because you didn't, you know, get up and do it the next day. So, um, yeah, you were trapped in that adjustment phase forever. That's right. That's right. And then, yeah, I mean, diet back then is 20 years ago. I mean, I'm eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches and skim milk and all the red vines I can find and granola bars and yogurts. That's not exactly (laughs) like the, the best diet to be able to do that. I want to deep dive 
into fasting with you, um, but I want to hear a little bit about your story. You have a really unique story of how you found fasting, and it was part of your life, but not fully integrated until a little later on. So can you tell me a little bit about how you found fasting and why you decided to implement that in your life more regularly? Yes. You know, I first found out about intermittent fasting or first read about it in probably around 2009. I was, you know, on the diet roller coaster of ups and downs, searching, searching, searching for something that would provide sanity and a framework for my life where I could just, you know, forget about food and just eat. But that thing, you know, kept not being there. (laughs) So um, I tried everything along the way. But in the meantime, I read about fasting and I would dabble in it here and there. I would try a plan. I would try, you know, having maybe an eight-hour eating window for a while or a five-hour eating window, or I would try um, alternate daily fasting. There were some books out there about that. Or, you know, Brad Pilon's Eat, Stop, Eat, where you just would have like three days a week or two days a week where you would just go for 24 hours. The problem is I never gave my body time to adjust. Like I would try a five-hour window for three days in a row And then I would be like, this is really hard. And then I would quit doing it. And then a month later, I'd be like, well, that really does sound like something I would like. And I would try again, or maybe three months later. And so, of course, it never got easier. And I would just, you know, throw it by the wayside. Still, whenever I read about it, I was like, this has really got to be the answer because it sounds so simple. But of course, I didn't understand about metabolic adaptation. Really, no one was talking about that. The whole idea of intermittent fasting was just viewed as a way to eat fewer calories, you know, whether it was a couple days a week as in like a 5-2 plan or if it was, you know, within a daily eating window. And so we didn't really understand the hormonal and metabolic benefits that go along with actually fasting and, and as your body changes and adapts. Then in 2014, I went on a family vacation. We went on a cruise. It was seven days. And, you know, those were back in the days when I was really eating all the time. I remember being on that cruise ship. We would get up and have breakfast. I would drag my family to the sit-down breakfast. Then I would drag them to the sit-down lunch, sit-down dinner. We would have snacks throughout the day. I can't believe how much I would eat. And um, I remember formal night. You know, we all you know, got up on deck and where they do the, the family portraits, And I looked at that family portrait and I could not believe that was me. Um, When I got home from the cruise, I got on the scale and I was 210 pounds and I'm five, five. So that was obese. Mm. And that was really a wake up call for me. And I felt miserable on the cruise. I remember we went to the Mayan ruins and it was so exciting to be there and walking up the, you know, the pyramid and I could barely move my body up the pyramid and moving through the day was so hard. So I was like, I've got to do something. And that's when I really, Um, decided this time it's going to be different. So I went on, you know, I didn't immediately go back to fasting. I tried something else crazy first, a crash diet. And of course those are unsustainable. But then I was like, you know what is better than this crash crazy diet that I'm doing? Intermittent fasting. (laughs) So um, at that point in 2014, it was August. And I began doing intermittent fasting at that point. And I have not stopped doing it since. I went on to lose, you know, my initial goal was to lose 75 pounds. I thought that 135 sounded like a great weight for my body. I got there um, in 2015 and I went on to lose about five more pounds, although I no longer weigh myself. I've been in the same maintenance range since 2015. And so you can see it's been almost six years as of today that I've been maintaining the weight loss. And it's just really amazing. I'm 51. I've been through menopause. I'm on the other side. And I I maintained my weight through it all thanks to intermittent fasting. Wow. I think that's a really good example and a really um, interesting thing that I, I like to tell my clients and I like to talk about. So, so go back to that trip on the cruise when you're eating and snacking and eating and snacking all the time. And that's taking up a considerable amount of your time. Contrast oh, yeah. that to like a normal day now, or like maybe another vacation that you went on where like you can go eat if you want to, but you could also not go eat and go have a blast and enjoy things. And like the Mayan ruins, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And, and like, I, I guess like for me today, like I wouldn't even give it a second thought if I ate or not, it wouldn't really impact my day. Like contrast those two things. Well, like for example, now, if I went on that same family cruise right this minute um, and we were going to go to the Mayan ruins, 
I would not eat before we went. <laughs> I would go in the, you know, the fasted state because I would have so much more endurance and stamina to go up and down the, you know, the pyramids as much as I wanted to while in the fasted state. Then I would wait until we got back on the ship, you know, assuming we'll cruise again one day when the pandemic <laughs> is over. So good. <laughs> I just, you had to throw that in there, but, um, that's one thing I miss is cruising. Anyway, um, I would wait till I got back on the ship and then I would find something that was delicious because it would probably be, you know, late afternoon by that point. And I would open my window with something delicious later. I like to do the late, late dining on a cruise. Um, so I would go to the dining room, maybe eight 15 for dinner and, um, you know, I, I look for things. I tend to, on a cruise, eat more vegetarian style because, number one, those are the meals that are often the best mm. coming out of the dining room. Yeah. The, they tend to be better prepared for whatever reason. And I can eat, you know, delicious food. I would have dessert, but I wouldn't feel overly stuffed. Mm. So I don't I don't get off the ship. I mean, I do get off the ship full because <laughs> I eat more on a cruise than I do at home. But Soon, you know, I remember the last day of a cruise when it was time to disembark, we would get up and go eat breakfast in the dining room before we would leave. And then now I would never do that. We just have, you know, coffee and then we get off the ship. We go home. I don't eat till I get home. And it's just, you know, I, I feel so much better. It only takes a couple of days to feel like myself again versus um, feeling miserable. Sure. Yeah, that's such a good point. You've already brought up metabolic flexibility, which I, I love right. to talk about. I could talk about that all day. But you, you talked about the, you know, if you were to go to the ruins today, you would purposely not eat so that you could have more energy. And I think for a lot of people, that's super counterintuitive. I had a backpacking yeah. trip this year where um, we walked 10 miles into the campsite before we had to set everything up. And I did the same thing. Like purposely, I want to be able to burn stored fat for a 10 mile walk. I know I can do that if I haven't eaten food. So I'm not even going to touch any food until later at night when I'm, you know, sat down around the campfire, I can chill out and relax a little bit. And everybody else around me is eating and snacking. They need to stop. They need to take a break. Like you can see their energy going up and down where my energy is, is there. It's just fine. It's so different. It, exactly. It's all a matter of having the energy accessible. You know, like if you carried food with you on a, um, on a hike, but you had it in a, you know, a backpack and there was a padlock on there and you couldn't get in the backpack, you wouldn't be able to eat that food. So it's the same thing, you know, when your body can't access that stored fat for whatever reason, it's, you know, it's not metabolically flexible. You may have all this wonderful energy. You have glycogens, you know, in your muscles and your liver, you have stored fat on your body, but you can't really get to it. Um, you know, if you're not metabolically flexible, especially the fat for fuel. But, you know, I went hiking with my son and his wife. Um, we went to a, a national park in South Carolina in December when they were here for the holidays. And um, I did the whole thing in the fasted state. And they're not fasting, which is funny. My son did for a while. He's 22. And they live in San Francisco. They're vegetarians. But he stopped fasting now that he's working from home. He had done it kind of a little bit. But they get up, they eat breakfast, they they carried snacks. We had to take us, they ate lunch before we went while we were at the park. And then they had snacks halfway through. And I'm like, y'all, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just fasting the whole time. I didn't eat till we got home, probably about 4 PM. Wow. And I felt great. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really quite <laughs> an interesting feeling when you're observing that in other people yet, you just kind of feel really good. I love the analogy you gave. That was a great analogy and think like the food is there. It's in the backpack and it's even like weighing you down. It's not even doing right? anything. Oh, yeah. You have it's to true. drag it along with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's there for us to access and it's, it's not scary. You know, sometimes people have the misconception because we've been told it for so long that if you don't eat all the time, you're going to start burning your muscle for fuel, but that's not really up high on your body's priority list. You know, we've got all this stored fuel in the form of fat. Let's burn our heart muscle. No, <laughs> the body's not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, great point. Okay, so you mentioned something really important, and I, I want to make sure that we address it. And it's that a lot of people, they maybe get intimidated by the word fasting. Like, what what does fasting mean? Is, what, does, is that different than intermittent fasting or extended fasting? Or, you know, sometimes I like to use the word time-restricted eating. For some people, that sounds a little bit nicer. Is there a specific definition of fasting or something that people should be afraid of or nervous about? Or how, how do you think about those things? 
That's a great question. There's a lot of emotion tied into the word fasting. We actually had this exact discussion yesterday in one of my Facebook groups. Someone said that people were turned off when she used the word fasting. And so she'd like to use time-restricted eating. And really, someone else said, well, I don't like the idea of restricting my eating. I don't like that word either. So (laughs) words are powerful, but... um, Really, the idea of of your body can be in really one state or another. You're in the fed state or you're in the fasted state. Now, it's not quite so black and white. It's not like you flip a switch. Now you're in the fasted state. It's a little more like a dimmer switch on a light. You know, it's not like a light switch. It's like a light dimmer. But, you know, there's processes you go through when you're getting to the end of the fed state and making the switch over to the fasted state and then, you know, vice versa. But, you know, we, we really are all fasting overnight. So we shouldn't be afraid of the word. In fact, we have a word for it that every human knows, and that is breakfast, which means break fast. Right. So we're doing it every day. So when someone says, oh, my God, I can't do fasting, like, well, you do. You <laughs> you do it every night unless you're waking up in the middle of the night to eat. You're not. Um, so you break the fast every day. The only difference is I may wait later in the day to break my fast than you do. But we're all breaking our fast at some point. So time-restricted eating is the eating window approach to intermittent fasting. So I want you to think of it as intermittent fasting is a big umbrella term. You know, if you can think in Venn diagrams, I was an elementary teacher for 28 years. I like Venn diagrams. Think of a big circle, and that is intermittent fasting. And then within that intermittent fasting big circle, we're going to have another circle inside there that fits in it. And that's going to be time-restricted eating. That's the eating window approach where you eat every day within a window of time. That's that's the approach that I use. You would have another circle inside that intermittent fasting circle for um, alternate day fasting approaches where you might go for 36 hours and then have a day where you ate for 12. It's alternate day fasting. You're not eating one day, then the next day you're eating and so forth. A 5-2 would be an approach that fit in that circle. Um, that's where you're going to have two fasting days a week. And then the other days would be, quote, eat normal days, eat normally. Um, four, three would be another approach like that. Now, extended fasting, I'm going to put that completely outside the intermittent fasting circle because extended fasting is different. When you get outside of um, alternate daily fasting, you're really getting into more extended fasting. And that is not something that that I recommend people do frequently. Um, you know, some people like to do maybe one 72-hour fast a quarter or something, you know, for health benefits. And, you know, there's certainly some validity to that. But keep in mind that the longer fasts, when you get beyond the alternate daily fasting realm, you know, those those are going to be for health benefits, not so much for, you know, quicker weight loss, because you really can overfast for your body. I talk about this in Fast, Feast, Repeat. Um, about, you know, the dangers of overfasting. And, you know, here here in the United States, we're pretty much known for go big or go home, right? So if it's good to fast for 19 hours, it must be great to fast for 90 hours, but not necessarily. Mm, that's a really good point. So you mentioned a lot of different protocols. We invited you on so that you could just tell us which one to do. So just tell us what what to do exactly <laughs> And then we'll end the podcast and everybody can go and do that. And they'll be in perfect health because of you and because of coming on this podcast. Which one is the Uh, best? (laughs) Nice try, Casey. But I know you know what I'm going to (laughs) say. There isn't one. I wish there was. We're all so very different. You know, if you're in excellent health and you, um, you don't have a ton of weight to lose, something, I mean, if you're a man, especially if you're young, Something like 16-8 is probably a good one for you. Um, you know, that would be 16 hours of fasting with an eight-hour eating window. You'll probably, you know, be able to become metabolically flexible pretty quickly, and it'll just be easy, and you'll feel great. Whereas, let's say you're somebody, you know, like like me back when I was obese, you know, 210 pounds, middle-aged woman, yo-yo dieter for, for years and years. You know, I, I needed a different approach. I needed a shorter eating window. 16.8 was not likely to give me, you know, weight loss. It never did. Back when I was experimenting from 2009 to 2014, you know, the eight-hour diet book had come out and it promised us lots of things. It promised you could eat, you know, whatever you want, as much as you want, however you wanted during an eight-hour eating window and you would magically lose the weight. Well, no, <laughs> that didn't 
not, did not work for me at all. Um, so you've got to know what you're working with, with your body. If you've been obese or overweight for a long time, you're going to need, you know, more fasting and probably an alternate daily fasting approach would be really good for you. Um, I talk about all of these in fast feast repeat, but it just really depends on your metabolic health, how long you've, you've been struggling and it takes some of us longer to heal than others. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Tell me, tell me if you agree with this or not. I I tell pretty much most people, like unless you're, you know, pregnant or breastfeeding or you've had a history of, you know, eating disorders, kind of questionable, but I'll tell people pretty much anything inside of 24 hours is pretty safe. Would you tend to agree with right. that? I would agree with that. Yes. You know, one caveat, if you feel you know, shaky or nauseous during the fast, that may be a sign that you need to eat. Your blood sugar may be low. Your body's not good at tapping into fat stores yet. So while you're adjusting, pay attention to those signals. You know, you you don't want to push through um, shakiness. You want to go ahead and eat. You can try again tomorrow. But adults that are healthy, you know, we can we can do this. It's good for us. It's good for our bodies. You know, we have Lots and lots of doctors who are doing intermittent fasting. There are a lot of researchers who, you know, once they start researching the benefits, they they become intermittent fasters. I think that that says a lot. Mm, yeah, that's a really good point too. You mentioned weight loss is one of the benefits. What are some other benefits that people may notice if they start fasting and seeing success? Well, I like to call intermittent fasting the health plan with the side effect of weight loss because, you know, we've all heard... Um, you know, you need to lose weight to get healthy. I actually think it's the other way around. You have to get healthy to lose weight. And the good thing about intermittent fasting is it helps us to become healthy in so many ways. You know, it lowers inflammation. So many of the issues that we face are due to increased inflammation, whether it's, you know, um, allergies or, you know, metabolic issues, so many things, autoimmune problems. Increased inflammation is, is a common factor in so many of those things. Insulin levels are also a big factor. And, you know, most people don't even think of insulin outside of the, you know, diabetes paradigm. You know, if you're a type one diabetic, you know that your body doesn't produce enough insulin. You have to take insulin shots to manage your blood glucose. Whereas someone with type two diabetes may not be insulin dependent, but really that's a, a disease that starts off as having too much insulin. You know, you become insulin resistant. Most people have heard that terminology before. And the word that um, that really describes having too much insulin is hyperinsulinemia. And I read a really great um, scientific paper about that. I have it linked in the, the references section of Fast Feast Repeat, but hyperinsulinemia, having too much circulating insulin all the time is really at the root of so many of the issues that we're facing. So much disease is, you know, has its start in chronic high levels of insulin. So, um, you know, getting our, our insulin levels down, fasting is the best way of doing that. Wow. You know, people have probably heard of low carb or keto and, you know, those dieters talk about getting insulin down, but with fasting, you get insulin down the most. So it's the, the best way to lower your insulin levels. Fast, clean, get your insulin down, correct your hyperinsulinemia. You may reverse metabolic syndrome. You know, there are people who had A1C levels that put them solidly in the, you know, the type two diabetic realm. And after living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, they have normal A1Cs. And so, you know, we, we hear that diabetes is chronic, progressive, can't be reversed, but people are, you know, they, they have normal levels. And so, you know, you can't really tell me that's not reversing it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, think of everything you just said in the context of the pandemic that we're currently going through. Right. All the comorbidities and what happens in the second phase of COVID when it turns is is autoimmune. Your immunity yeah. and your, your, you know, immune system attacks itself. Like that's, that sounds so beneficial, even just for that in our, in our current situation, let alone everything else. Absolutely. So awesome. So, yep. Yeah, you know, so intermittent fasting won't prevent you from, you know, getting COVID, for, for example, you, you can still get it, but we hope that it will help our bodies deal with um, the disease much better. Yeah, that's a great point. So for most of my career, I would use metabolic analyzers to figure out how many calories a person's body was burning. And we would assign them a certain number of calories that they needed to burn. And we would just tell everybody, like, if you eat less than whatever this caloric number is, your metabolism is going to decrease. 
And if you eat more than this, you'll be able to maintain or increase your metabolism. And so one of the things that took me so long to wrap my brain around was that that not eating is vastly different than eating less. Can you explain why well, fasting yeah. doesn't drop your metabolism? Well, um, one caveat is that fasting can drop your metabolism, but but that's where the overfasting comes in. So mm. let me explain. Um, I'm going to refer to one specific study that really made the light bulb go on for me. And this was a study that they did with people who they fasted for 72 hours. You know, we don't have a lot of research on fasts beyond that because they're just not doing that with people in the lab, you know, setting. I'm going to make you fast for 12 days. No, they're not doing that. But we do have a really solid study with a 72 hour fast where they studied people going through it. So they took their, their baseline metabolic rate when they were be beginning had them fast for 72 hours and did some measures along the way. And so I want you to imagine, you know, a, a curve where metabolic rate goes up, 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 up the mountain, like a, like a roller coaster, you know, you're going up. Then at a certain point along the way in this 72 hour fast, metabolic rate peaked and then started to go back down. So by the time they got to 72 hours, the metabolic rate was higher than it had been at baseline when they started, but it was on a downward trajectory. So what that shows us, this is just one 72-hour fast in isolation, but what it showed us was as the fasting continued, metabolic rate went up, but then it started to go back down. So if you continued to fast past that time on and on and on, eventually your body is going to be lower than baseline because your body's like, help, there's no food coming in. But that also showed me the, the place where we live with intermittent fasting is in that first part of the curve where the metabolic rate is going up. Your body's tapping into stored fat. You got plenty of fuel. Things are going along fine. And then you eat because we're not fasting long forever and ever. You know, we, we fast, then we feast, then we repeat. So if you, if you do that, your body should not slow your metabolism over time. Mm, that's very well explained. You also um, mentioned the name of the title of your book and it's called fast feast repeat. It's exactly. not, it's not called fast, eat a little bit, portion control, repeat. Right. What, I, and we I, see that, that problem with people sometimes, especially women who have restricted for a long time, you know, they, they, they tend to still view intermittent fasting as a restrictive diet. And, you know, there's, there's a, a flip side to that. You know, you don't want to over-restrict during intermittent fasting, but you also can overeat. If you overeat, you're not going to see weight loss. So you have to find, you know, your sweet spot right in that intermittent fasting approach where you're not under-eating you know, and trying to diet within your eating window, but you're also not, you know, going crazy and overeating. Mm. So, so you mentioned women in particular, and, and I agree it is, it's such a paradigm shift to tell women, like you have permission to be satiated, like right. different than fullness. And, and I, I talk about this a lot, like you can get full, you know, in your stomach with certain foods and you'll stop eating. But if you're, if you don't eat the right things a few hours later, you're going to be starving again. And that's what makes fasting so difficult. But if you're eating to complete satiety and, and, you know, men are guilty of this as well, but I think it's, it's more prevalent with women that they, they don't fully give themselves permission to, to really fully eat a lot of calories, be really satiated to the point that fasting becomes very easy. So tell me a little bit about the, the a little bit more about the feasting side. What kinds of foods do you like to feast and how do you know that you've had enough? That, that's a, a great question. And, you know, we've just been trained to diet or, you know, some from the teenage years or even before, you know, to, to feel guilty from, from being full and satisfied. Whereas, you know, that's really how we're supposed to feel after we eat. We're supposed to feel satisfied. That's why it feels good to be satisfied after eating. Um, so satiety is, is tricky. You can totally lose connection to your satiety signals. You know, counting calories long-term can do that. You don't even know when you've had enough because you've just been using this artificial, um, you know, number to tell you when you, you've had enough. Um, I remember back in my calorie counting days, you know, we probably all have them. I would eat more just because I could, because I still had, you know, calories left over. You know, oh, I better eat something else. Um, and that that's just one of the things that keeps us from connecting to our satiety signals. One thing that's really important is food quality. And 
I find that when I eat nutritious foods, real foods, I am much more in tune with my satiety signals and my body says, oh, that was good. You've had enough. And that's because our bodies are searching for nutrients and not calories. Our bodies want the nutrition. And if you eat, you know, quote, the wrong things, your body is not going to be satisfied because it's like, you know, hello, that wasn't it. Send something else down. And so, you know, the the phrase I really like is we're, you know, overfed yet undernourished. You know, you can tell by looking at us when we're overweight and obese that we've we've had too much to eat, but we could really be so undernourished that our body is crying for nutrition. And so it keeps sending us more signals to eat because it's like, you know, literally starving for nutrition. That's right. It's so hard to see somebody who is clearly overweight. They have way too much energy already on the body, yet they're still hungry. You wouldn't think that that could exist. And we've created this food system that allows that to be the case. And they're literally hungry. I was that person. I was hungry. And and you, you know, try to force down that feeling of hunger and you eat your 100 calorie snack pack that they told you would be a good snack. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, you're starving, starving. worse than if you hadn't eaten it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. One of the things I noticed just again, based on what you just said about being starving is the change in hunger. And you've, you've kind of mentioned this already today, but tell me what hunger feels like now versus what it felt like before you started fasting regularly. Well, you know, I talked about the roller coaster before just a minute ago when I was talking about your metabolism, but now I want to talk about the roller coaster of your blood glucose. You know, we've all been hangry and think about your blood glucose. It's going up and down and up and down. And when it would have a crash, you know, you're starving. That's when you might feel shaky and your body's like, my blood sugar's low, put something in now and you're hangry. Well, that's how you live when you are in the constantly fed state and you're a sugar burner. You know, you um, you wake up in the morning, you have something to eat, then a couple hours later, a snack, and then another snack, and then a lunch, and you just keep going. So you're constantly on that blood sugar roller coaster. You put something in, your blood sugar goes up, then it goes back down, and it crashes up and down, and you're constantly, you know, having that cycle throughout the day, and you have to keep ahead of it, and you have to keep putting the fuel in, because that's where your body is getting the fuel, well, when it comes to intermittent fasting, your body learns how to tap into your fat stores for fuel. So I wake up in the morning and my body knows where to go for fuel and I'm fine. And I may have a stomach growl here and there or think, oh, I, you know, eating might be fun, but, you know, I stay busy. I don't have those crashes during mm-hmm. the day. My blood sugar isn't going up and down wildly and crashing. Then when I open my window, I eat food that makes me feel great. And I keep that steady blood glucose, but my body shifts over, you know, to using the the food for fuel when I open my window. But I used to be way hungrier when I would eat frequently during the day. And and it just had to do with, you know, my body was ready to find a fuel source. And that's why I had to put one in. Mm. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think more people would be willing to try it and, and, you know, get through the first part that's a little bit uncomfortable if they knew right. what that felt like because i think most people just know that hunger is hanger i right. my, my head is on my desk at 3 p.m. because i'm starving i have no energy i have to have a candy bar or a soda or something to get me over that hump versus like yeah i'm a little hungry but there's stuff i like to do there's clients i like to see i can go on a walk i can go on a bike ride it, it's it's just it's such a different feeling So much different. It's really, you know, like night and day. And until you've experienced it, you don't really understand it, that you're not just going to, you know, hunger comes in waves during the day when you're an intermittent faster, you might have a little brief wave and then it goes away. Yeah. It doesn't just build and build and build. And then you, you know, you die. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's great. How do, how do workouts fit into this kind of way of eating? Is that something you recommend as well? Again, you know, we just talked about the adjustment period and how that can be tricky. So I wouldn't start intermittent fasting and then also, you know, try to go do your high intensity, you know, training, interval training right there at the beginning. You're going to need to let your body learn how to tap into fat stores before you're going to be well fueled during a workout. But once your body adjusts, you will be well fueled during the workout. You know, I just talked about the hike that I went on. You know, I'm a 51 year old woman and I hiked for a couple hours through a park in the fasted state and I was fine. 
And then I drove home and it was over an hour and I was also still fine. <laughs> and and I, I, my body has been able to do anything I've asked it to do in the fasted state. So um, I'm adapted. You know, I've talked to people who do endurance type athletics, you know, um, you know, marathon type thing. And they, they can do it in the fasted state if they've trained that way. Mm. You're not just going to flip that switch and be able to do it. Takes time to, to adjust. Build up to it. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. That was one of the things that shocked me was an improvement in my endurance. I mean, I would ride my oh, yeah. bike and and have to have to have to have carbs, 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 tons of gels and drinks. And now I don't even think about. I don't even take a water bottle. Like you don't need anything. And I'm faster now than I ever was when I was racing and using yep. all of those products. It's it's a pretty Absolutely. crazy switch. You just it, it, you made a really good point there that people just need to give it time. You can't do this for a few days and expect it to be really easy. Just exactly write it out. Write it out a little bit longer. One of one of the questions we get asked all the time. I'm sure you get this all the time. Should women eat differently than men? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With a caveat, here's what I'm going to say about that. Um, you know, our bodies, I mean, men and women both should not live overly restricted. That's not good for the woman's body. It's not good for the male body either. Women that we have something that usually signals us and then, you know, that's our menstrual cycle. You know, we have a, that signal that if you over restrict your period will stop. And so we, we know when it's happening, men don't have a signal that is quite so in your face and obvious as that. So um, the thing about intermittent fasting is it, it can be approached as a restrictive way of eating. Like I mentioned before, if you're also dieting within your eating window, but that is not how we recommend that anyone do it, man or woman. So we don't recommend anyone do intermittent fasting in an overly restrictive dieting manner because that that's going to send a signal to your body that you're not well fueled over time, men and women. Um, women just have that, like I said, that hormonal signal that lets us know when it's happening. So, you know, we've got um, almost half a million members in our various Facebook support communities. And the majority of them are women, just that's the nature of Facebook, I think, and people joining groups, a lot, a lot of females. We have wonderful male members as well, uh, but it's it's predominantly women. And so we have hundreds of thousands of women who are doing intermittent fasting successfully. You know, we may have a few cycle changes at the very beginning as our body adjusts, but most people find that their cycles become more regular and hormonally healthier over time. And, and that's just what we see over and over again. Also, women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, which is really on the rise now because it's linked to hyperinsulinemia, high levels of insulin. Um, so we find that a lot of women with PCOS find that their cycles regulate in a way they never had before thanks to intermittent fasting. And even women who had been struggling with infertility find that they suddenly are pregnant after, you know, in, um, they've started an intermittent fasting lifestyle. So women should not be afraid of intermittent fasting. You should be afraid of anything that's overly restrictive, but that's not the way we want you to, to live the intermittent fasting lifestyle. Perfect. And then you gave us some food recommendations. I find myself in the, in the bias world of the kind of low carb carnivore type right. community. That's, that's worked well for me and work for my clients. And I, I fully recognize that, that just because that's the route I tend to choose doesn't mean that works for everybody. You seem to be very open and non-dogmatic about nutrition. You mentioned real food. It, it, is that about as, as, as complex as it gets for you? Yes. <laughs> Although one caveat there too. Um, I have a book that I wrote in 2017 called feast without fear. And I wrote that book because of the dogma that you're talking about. And, and honestly, it's, you know, I really see that on Instagram a lot. As I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed, I see, you know, people who are carnivore, people who are raw vegan and everything in between. And everyone is so dogmatic about this is the way everyone should be. And clearly the people who are carnivore are happy and doing well and claiming excellent health that they've never had before. And the same is true on the raw vegan side. You know, they're claiming excellent health that they, you know, better than they've ever felt. And, you know, is one side lying and the other side is right. You know, and then we've got everything in the middle. And so I was like, there's got to be an answer. There's got to be one best way for us to eat. What does the science tell us? Well, um, 
I was digging through everything I could find, you know, reading all the books, the books from low fat people, the books for low, from low carb people and, and following the science. I ended up on a, um, a TED talk, Dr. Aaron Segal, and the title of his talk is What is the Best Diet for Humans? I think that's the title of it. You can find it on YouTube, Dr. Aaron Segal, E-R-A-N. He is Israeli. And I watched that video and that was when I first heard about personalized nutrition and it blew my mind because he's, he's standing there saying that we all have a different glycemic response to the same foods, for example. Like some f- people have you know, a really um, high glycemic response to ice cream, but not to white bread versus someone else might be the complete opposite. But we've all been trained that, you know, the glycemic index is like a, a number that's set in stone and this is what it is. And, you know, then I realized the glycemic index was created because they took a bunch of people, averaged their glycemic response and gave the average as what the glycemic response was. Well, think about height, for example. What if we said people, that's how tall people were. We took all the people and averaged their height and said, this is how tall you are. Well, clearly that's not how tall we all are. It's the average. Averages really don't say a lot about an individual person. So um, we're learning more and more now. And there's some fascinating research that's ongoing. I talked about this in Fast Feast Repeat. Dr. Tim Spector, um, he's out of the UK. He's doing a series of studies called the Predict Studies. I actually got to take part in Predict 3. Um, they have an app called the Zoe app. And um, I talk about it more at jenstevens.com slash Zoe. But it's really has to do with your gut microbiome and also your glycemic response to different foods. They all really play in together. So um, I just went through a period of time where they, they tested my gut microbiome to see what was living down there, um, you know, what, what the gut bacteria makeup is for me. And that gives a lot of clues to what foods work well for your body and your gut. And then I wore a CGM or a continuous blood glucose monitor for a period of time, and I tested different foods that they sent. And, you know, they, they tested my blood to see how it responded. To make a long story short, I end up with a personalized recommendation of what foods work well for my body. For example, I found out that my body doesn't clear fat very well. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's really sad to me because, I you know, we all love to eat foods that have plenty of fat, but it gives a big clue as to why keto didn't work well for my body. Um, I always felt inflamed and yucky when I was trying to do keto. I tried that back in 2014. Didn't work well for me. I didn't lose any weight. I felt awful. As soon as I reintroduced carbs, switched to intermittent fasting, that's when my weight loss began. But based on what they know, if your body doesn't clear fat well, eating too much fat is very inflammatory for you versus someone else whose body does clear fat well, they can handle a whole lot more. And that, you know, that's better for them to eat. So it's fascinating um, to see how different we really all are. So they gave me a list of foods. These are the foods that would work well for me. And I actually followed their exact recommendations for seven days. And it was amazing. You know, I don't want to track. I don't want to measure. And so I'm not going to do that long term. But, you know, for example, beans, they are really high scoring for my body. And I ate a lot of beans during those seven days and I felt fantastic. Wow. That's super interesting. We'll have to link to all that in the show notes. That's great. There is a word. It's kind of a newer word. We haven't talked about this yet. And it it came on the scene a few years ago. And it is so interesting. I love it. Tell us what is autophagy? Okay. Yeah. Autophagy. Um, We had never heard of autophagy until, well, when I say we, I'm talking about people like you and me. (laughs) You know, obviously scientists who were studying it had heard of it, but Uh, Most of us had not, even, you know, doctors hadn't heard of it. But then in 2016, the Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded based on research into autophagy. And then suddenly everyone was talking about it. It's basically our body's um, recycling and upcycling system. You know, it's the way our bodies kind of clean up in the background and, you know, we can recycle old junky proteins and clean up, you know, damaged cell parts. And our bodies are great at doing that. But we have to give them the right um, environment to do it. If you're constantly in the fed state, your body is all the time focusing on digestion and dealing with, you know, processing your meals. Well, if you do intermittent fasting and you're in the fasted state, your body suddenly 
not doing as much. And it's like, well, nothing's coming in. What's all, well, let me look around and see what I've already got on hand. And it has time to do some cleanup. You know, it's like if you were throwing, you know, a frat party at your house and, you know, hundreds of people were there and they're generating a lot of garbage, you're going to have a big mess that, you know, that's like, you know, eating all day long versus, you know, if you have just a couple friends over once a day, you clean up after them and you can keep your house neat. So we don't want to live in constant frat party. We want to have time to clean up. And that's, um, that's what happens during the fast and autophagy is upregulated. That's great. That's a great analogy. I love that. An analogy I'll give to people every now and again, I've used this on the show before, is if you are building a house and you're getting deliveries of bricks all the time every day, when you break a brick, well, you don't care. You just throw it in the pile in the back and just keep going because you know new ones are coming. But when that delivery right. stops, you have to be a lot more resourceful and you have to go back to that pile of bricks and start to maybe you know, put two together, make these two work and recycle those things to make good new bricks. And, and I think of that the same way. And this is part of why anybody who attempts intermittent fasting, I really try to get them to take a before and after picture. Take some pictures on your phone. Don't share them with anybody. Just have them because you will be amazed. Not only will you lose weight, but you will look vastly different as your body is cleaning up not only the fat, but also, you know, the rest of those junky proteins, skin, you can make your skin tighter, smoother. It's like the best anti-aging thing you could ever find. Absolutely. We see that in the before and after photos in the groups, people will share them and people who are new will say, wow, these photos are almost unbelievable because everyone looks so much younger. It's like we've discovered the fountain of youth. That's right. Yeah. It looks like some of these people that have lost, you know, a hundred pounds, they look like they've never been overweight a day in their life. They look great. Right. I mean, that's me. You know, I lost over 80 pounds and, you know, I I don't look like uh, you you would not know it by looking at me. So cool. Let's, let's tell a new listener, is there anything they need to do to prepare to start fasting or should they just start with wherever they are? That's a great question. Um, I have something in Fast Feast Repeat that I would encourage all new people to to, you know, to get that book and find the 28 day fast start chapter, you can go straight to that first and then go back and read the part before it. But um, you need to think about yourself. You know, some people are a rip the bandaid off kind of person. You can just start, you know, like say you want to do 19 five, you're just going to do it day one, you're doing it, you're fine. Whereas other people, especially someone who's been obese for a while, or you're pretty sure you're metabolically inflexible you may need to have an, an easier ease-in type approach, um, train your body to, to burn fat for fuel and, and take your time with it, or maybe somewhere in between. Um, the number one thing I want everyone to focus on is the clean fast. Your first goal is to nail the clean fast. And, and you know what do I mean by the clean fast? Um, for me, there are three goals that you have while fasting. And once you understand those three goals, then you know why to fast clean. The first one is um, you want to keep your insulin low. I've talked about that before. You know, we want our insulin low. That helps us tap into our fat stores because high levels of insulin actually keeps us from tapping into fat stores because insulin is antilipolytic. So keep your insulin low. Insulin's for storing. Low insulin, you're able to get your fat stores back out again. And we keep our insulin low by avoiding anything that makes our our brain think that food is coming in. Obviously eating food would be the wrong thing to do because that would not be fasting. But there are a lot of things, you know, that we think are okay, like, you know, a diet soda or, um, you know, putting lemon juice in your water or even a lemon wedge because your, your brain senses that as food coming in. You know, we taste the sweetness of the diet soda. We have a cephalic phase insulin response, which is our brain saying, oop, sugar's coming in. Well, of course it isn't. We're having a diet soda but your body doesn't understand, you know, artificial sweeteners. So insulin goes up and that's the opposite of what we want to do during the fasted state. So avoid anything that tastes sweet or tastes like food or is food or anything that might make your body think food is coming in. Fasting goal number one. Fasting goal two is we want to tap into our stored body fat for fuel. So you want to avoid taking in 
other sources of fuel. You know, there's a train of thought that, well, you know, MCT oil, butter, they're fat. They're not going to raise my insulin a lot. So I'm just going to take those in and my my body's going to make ketones out of those, you know, out of that stored fuel or out of that, you know, MCT oil or out of the, the butter in my coffee and I'll have great energy. Well, that's that's true, but you're getting the energy from your coffee cup instead of from your body. Your body can make ketones from your stored body fat, and that's really what we want to have happening during the fast. The goal is not to have ketones. The goal is to make them from stored body fat. That's where you have your great mental clarity and your great energy. So if you're constantly taking in sources of, of fat in your coffee or in your beverage, you're not having to tap into your fat stores at all. And so that doesn't even make any sense when you think about it. Um, also avoid taking in ketone supplements. You know, you don't need those. You don't, you don't want to take them in. You want to make them. And again, when you take these things in, your body isn't having to scrounge around and make them for you um, from your stored fat. And fasting goal number three is to increase autophagy. And um, we know that protein, if you ingest protein, that turns off autophagy. So that's why you don't want to drink bone broth. You know, that's a source of protein. So avoid things like that during the fast. So to fast clean, you stick to plain water. It can be sparkling or still, just don't add anything to it for flavor, just plain. Um, And, you know, for some people, it may have been years or decades since they just drank plain water. Wow. You know, people have to adjust their taste buds to that. Right. You can have black coffee, plain tea. Um, don't add anything to it. Don't drink the flavored varieties. Don't drink, you know, all those herbal teas that actually are sweet or flavored. Avoid all of those. Just keep it really simple. A bitter flavor profile is not associated with insulin response. And that's why black coffee and plain tea are fine for most people. That's great advice. We, we've already talked about your podcast. You, you do a podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, where you hear real people tell the real stories. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. Just the first one that comes to your mind, what's a standout story that you're really you know, happy about, excited about, that it could be just the first one that comes to your mind? Oh gosh, there's so many going through my mind. I mean, of course, the ones I just did, you know, I just talked to a professional football player, an ex-professional football player um, who talked about how he uses intermittent fasting. You know, I've talked to, um, I've talked to personal trainers and even someone who, um, you know, works in that role for, for a professional basketball team. I've talked to doctors. I've talked to an OBGYN who uses intermittent fasting with her patients. And I mean, so many people, I just really, you know, stories that make you cry, stories that make you cheer, you know, people who have faced death of a spouse or death of a child and used intermittent fasting as part of their healing. There are just so many. I think I recorded number 142 today and I can't, I've been asked that before, you know, but I can't pick a favorite because they're all so special. And, you know, even the person who, you know, quote, only needed to lose 10 pounds, but finally found food freedom. That's, that's a huge story for that person. You know, the person who needed to lose 200 pounds, it's just all of them are inspiring in a different kind of a way. So I can't pick one. It's like, you know, you have a bunch of kids, you love them all. <laughs> pick your favorite. <laughs> I can't pick a favorite. <laughs> well, that's great. I, I just, I can't recommend that podcast enough. It, it's very, very good. It's really heartwarming. You. Um, you, you really do a great job capturing those stories. It's, it's one of my favorites to listen to. Tell us about your new podcast. What made you decide that two podcasts was not enough and you needed to do a third one? I know that sounds crazy. My third <laughs> podcast, I do it with my friend, um, Sherry Bullock. She's the co-host and Sherry actually was talking to me. We've been friends for years and um, she called me and she said, I would like to start a podcast. Can you help me? And she was, you know, troubleshooting, you know, how do I get started? And I was giving her a lot of advice and she's like, well, you know, I would like to have maybe guest co-hosts here and there. And, <laughs> and it's not an intermittent fasting podcast. Then all of a sudden the light bulb went off and I'm like, oh, I would like to talk about about things that aren't fasting too. And like, I'm not trying to, you know, horn in on your fun here, but 
would you have me? <laughs> she was like, yes, yes, I would. So we were so excited um, to decide that we could do it together. Cause she's a friend, you know, she goes to the beach with me and she roomed with me on, um, on one of the delay don't deny cruises that we had. And she and I are just great friends. And we, when we get together, we talk nonstop. <laughs> so, <laughs> Might as well record it. About it everything. Yes. So we really are friends and, you know, she works in healthcare and she's a bit of a biohacker herself and she, um, really smart person and, um, great at practical solutions and wants to help others. So, you know, we connected through that and our podcast is called life lessons. And, you know, we, we formed a Facebook community, we're right about 8,000 members of that community. And, you know, you know how Seinfeld was the show about nothing. <laughs> we're the podcast about everything um, except politics. We're going to avoid politics completely Love politics it. and religion. Love we're not it. going there. <laughs> Thank <but> you. <laughs> other than that, <laughs> whether you're liberal conservative or in, you know, politically agnostic, our podcast is for you because we're not even going to talk about that. And like today, our episode that came out was about kitchen hacks. And, but we're also going to talk about serious things like seasonal affective disorder and forming habits. And we talked about movies and playing games and just really anything you can think of, you know, money matters. We're going to talk about, um, you know, menopause in an upcoming series. So something for everybody. I love it. I just finished that episode about habits and I, I really got a lot out of it. It was a really Good. fun, informal, enjoyable conversation. I felt like I was in the room with you guys just, just talking. It was, it, it was, it's great. It's a great show. Tell us Thank a little you. bit yeah, about- we even, you know, we're, we have a good news segment that we like to share every time and, you know, things like that. So it's just positive and uplifting really is our goal. That's great. It definitely accomplishes that goal for sure. It's great. Tell us a little bit about the book you're working on. Oh, well, I can't say too much about it. <laughs> we'll stay tuned. <laughs> you're going to have to stay tuned. I don't know what I'm allowed to say yet. My editor likes for me to keep it a little hush-hush early on, but um, I'm really excited about it. It is not about intermittent fasting, although there is a chapter on intermittent fasting in it. And um, it's it's going to be full of practical information that you can use because that's, you know, I'm a teacher at heart. I taught school for 28 years. And even in my intermittent fasting work and in my life lessons podcast, I like to teach you things. That is, that's what I'm trained to do. I can learn information, you know, put it together, break it down and re-deliver it to you. That's what I'm trained to do. And that's, that's my expertise is, is teaching. So I'm going to teach you about something that's not new to you, but I'm going to teach it in a new way and you can apply it to your life in a way maybe you couldn't. So stay tuned. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'm going to leverage this <laughs> and tell you that you don't have to talk about your book today, but you do have to come back on sometime when it's out so that we can talk about it then. Is that fair? Well, I would love that. I actually talked to my editor yesterday. I'm up against a hard deadline of um, end of March of 2021, but you know, we're looking at an early 2022 release. Cool. So That's great. We'll be, I would love to come back. Awesome. We'll be tuned in for that. This has been an awesome conversation. I've certainly learned a lot. I've I've had so much benefit in my life from involving fasting and it's it's just it's a tool that I wish more people would use. What is one simple thing that you would want somebody to know walking away from this conversation that they could use in their life immediately? You know, fast clean and release expectations. You know, you start fasting, fast clean and you know, let your body guide you and it will amaze you. You know, don't look at it as quick weight loss because it's not. In the 28-day fast start approach um, in Fast Feast Repeat, I actually tell people do not expect to lose any weight in the first 28 days. You might even gain some weight, so stay off the scale. You know, I can remember when I was going through the, the editing process and the publishing process, they were, you know, looking for the sound bites to promote the book. And they're like, well, what should we tell people to expect? How much can they lose? You know, they were expecting me to say some big number. And I said, zero pounds. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, that's not what we had in mind. But I want people to think of intermittent fasting, as I said before, the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. This can change your life, but you have to have um, the idea that it's a lifestyle and you have to understand all the things that are going on behind the scenes. For example, you know, one of the stories that stands out to me is, is my friend Roxy that I interviewed. She's a moderator in my group and she didn't lose any weight for months and months and months months and months she was doing intermittent fasting and she could have said, this doesn't work. I quit. But actually before she started, she had been diagnosed with fatty liver disease and 
all those months of not losing weight at all, she went back to the doctor. Her fatty liver was 100% reversed. Wow. So did, did intermittent fasting work for her? Yeah. It reversed her fatty liver. Now she's losing weight. But she had to go through. I mean, if you just look at the scale as your only metric of success, you might miss out on, oh, reversing fatty liver disease, which I think is a lot better than how your pants fit. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, that's so awesome. Where would you like people to go to find your work? Well, you can go to jenstevens.com and there are links to everything there. Jen is spelled like gin and tonic and Stevens has a pH, jenstevens.com. Um, find me there. My podcasts are, are everywhere you can find podcasts. If you search using my name, Jen Stevens, they'll all come up. Plus all the ones I've been guest, a guest on. <laughs> Which is a lot. Let me tell you. It I is mean, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in preparation for this podcast, I found just mountains of content and information. And we're so grateful for you to put that out there, to learn something that worked in your life, but not only just keep it to yourself, but share it with others. And I want to close this conversation with a quote. Um, this comes from your new podcast and it says let's live our best lives one day at a time and let's have some fun along the way that to me i love it oh that to me just just really encompasses you and your work and the lightness and the brightness that you bring to life and share with others and i'm really grateful for it and i know my clients are as well we're grateful for you for spending time with us today so thank you very very much we really appreciate it well thank you for having me it was an absolute pleasure and this has been another episode of boundless body radio 